politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for our liberties to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here the second to last day of June. And let me tell you, this month cannot be in our rear view mirror quickly enough. Um, my son is now asking me, what does pride mean? I mean, I've never heard of this nonsense before. It's everywhere. And the reason why it's everywhere is because the Republican Party has failed to be a check and a balance on this behavior. And today, which happens to be very interestingly enough, June 29th, the anniversary of Furman v. Georgia, the Supreme Court decision that abolished the death penalty was reinstated four years later. This is in 1972. And we're going to talk about the death penalty. We're going to talk about the transgenderism. We're going to talk about BLM and black militias and black supremacism. We're going to talk about the things that other shows won't talk about. See, I'm not sure to whom Republicans pander more, the homosexual agenda or the BLM terrorists and black supremacist agenda. But we're going to find out. And I'm going to go through both of them today. And when today's show is over, I want you guys to understand the problem with so many people in this phony conservative movement, phony conservative media, they don't even discuss the stories that matter. Speak to any Joe on the street. The problem is not so much their views, although you have some crazy people, but the majority of people, it's the things that are on the tip of their tongue, the stories that they talk about. They're merely a reflection of what the media chooses. Now, the re- broadly speaking, the Republican media, and that begins with Fox News on down, talk radio, Newsmax, they have the opportunity, a pretty big megaphone, it's not what the left has, but it's pretty big, to challenge the status quo. Likewise, the Republican politicians, if every one of them would be a DeSantis, that would change the news cycle. That in itself would make the media landscape around the issues that we want them to be around. They'll have their bias on it, but at least we'll be talking about the right things. But yet, we don't find that in conservative media. And I'm going to discuss stories with you today that are eminently important, have a number of enduring lessons, engender in them a lot of action items, because again, this is an activist show, and you'll you'll rarely hear about them elsewhere. They're all fogged up. You know why? Because they don't wear better spectacles. Folks, have you bought a pair of glasses, thrown them in the drawer, and never worn them again? Or have you been told to go home and get used to your progressives? Well, I've got help. Better Spectacles is now offering authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time in the U.S., Rodenstock is a 144-year-old company. It has the world's gold standard with over 500 patents. Uh, Reagan actually wore uh, Rodenstock glasses. They're expert opticians specialized, particularly in difficult prescriptions. Yeah, I'm very much nearsighted, and I love my Rodenstock glasses. They are Go Specs lenses from Rodenstock. 
Um, no neck strain, more energy, and the ability to help you see 40% better. If you go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative, you could actually schedule a teleoptical appointment. They have, you know, total in-person service, but the thing about a lot of you guys, you know, you email and tell me you don't want to wear a mask, and I agree with you. Um, and, you know, months into this, you, you still have to wear a mask to go to an eye doctor. So you could schedule an online online appointment, and then they'll offer you an introductory 61% off their Go Specs lenses if you type in betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Again, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Go now. Okay, folks. So which one should we start with? Let's start with the homosexual agenda. How is it, how is it that we've gone from just a couple years ago, I remember, you know, when I started in politics, the homosexual agenda was very unpopular. Republicans threw the fight. And then they started with the transgender stuff. And we're like, come on, that's not going to take root. And now it they ran the same play up the middle of the field as they did with the first letters of the Rainbow Jihad alphabet. And they, they've succeeded. Do people really want this and believe in it? The far left does, whereas it wasn't invented before then. But support, like most of their stuff, is a mile wide and an inch deep. But Republicans have tossed the fight. They've largely tossed the fight. But there's another problem we have. Let's say we succeed in getting school board members that are aligned with patriotic views. Let's say we succeed in getting more people like DeSantis as governor, state attorney general, state legislature, county commissioner, and on down. Then we have another problem we have to deal with that I wrote a book about, I've been warning about for a decade. I wrote numerous articles. I'm, I'm going to try to dig them up when Trump was elected president before he took office, warning people that we need to push back against judicial supremacism, the notion that a federal court could just tell a state a man's a woman, a marriage is not a marriage, life is not a life, you know, election law is not election law, here's what you got to do, and that's the final word on it. Instead, every one of my colleagues jumped on the bandwagon. Oh, Trump's going to get to appoint a number of justices, and indeed he got to appoint three, and that's going to remake the courts. And I warned people a number of reasons why I said it's never going to happen. I said not only are they not going to reverse longstanding, bad, terrible Supreme Court opinions, but they are going to fail to even reverse the stuff percolating right now in the lower courts. And I warned and warned and warned. And sadly, now people are starting to see I was right. Yesterday, this is Monday, we got entreated to our latest example of this. A lot of people missed this. I'm seeing some are reporting on this. I wrote an article on it. As I often say, it's not so much what the Supreme Court decides upon, it's what they decide not to rule upon. You see, any lower court, we're told, could just, you know, wave their hand and say a man's a woman. So then we have to wait. I mean, we don't and shouldn't have to, but the way the Republicans work is they won't lift a finger to fight it until the Supreme Court reverses it. 
Now, some people are going to tell you, Daniel, the Supreme Court declining to take up our appeal is not the same as affirmatively ruling against us, you know, taking up the case and ruling the bad way. Yeah, I get it. And it depends on the dynamics of the case structure and, and how long the case has been percolating in the courts. But when you have a Fourth Circuit decision that has been percolating since April 2016, ruling that a school board, a state, you know, a, a county school district cannot merely assign a bathroom, a boy's bathroom to a boy and a girl's bathroom to a girl as has been done since the beginning of time. Such a novel, radical opinion, and that's allowed to stand. And then the Supreme Court denies cert to the school district trying to appeal the wacko um, Fourth Circuit opinion. That speaks volumes. And my eyes jumped out when I looked at the orders from yesterday. And I saw that cert was denied in Grim v. Gloucester County School Board. It's in Virginia. Thomas... And Alito would have granted cert. I was like, well, what happened to Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch? Trump's three appointees. So anyway, there was this dude named Grimm. Usually it's the other direction. But this was a dude who wanted to... No, I'm sorry. This was a girl who wanted to say he's a, she's a boy and use... um. Boys' bathroom, and the district ju- and and the school said no. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're not doing that. They sued in federal court, and the federal district court in Virginia said, "Yeah, I mean, the school board's right. I mean, there's there's nothing um, compelling the, the district to overturn natural law and do something so absurd." But they took it to the Fourth Circuit, which is utterly insane. In April 2016, Judge Henry Floyd, an Obama appointee, wrote a two-to-one decision forcing the school board to comply. And basically what happened was they applied Obama's just If you remember, Obama's uh, education department at the time said that you have to let in tranny students to the opposite bathroom. And that was their interpretation of Title IX. That's Title IX of the U.S. Education Amendments of 1972. A lot of people know of Title IX with girls' sports. Um, the United States Education Amendments of 1972. So 1972, when they talked about sex discrimination, they meant transgenderism. That was the Obama administration's uh, DOE interpretation, and the court ruled that way. So once, once again, we have two unelected branches, the courts and Obama's Department of Education, working in concert to undermine natural law, and we're told there's nothing we can do about it. And it was utterly, an utterly insane opinion that the judge said the proudest moments of the federal judiciary have been when we affirm the burgeoning values of our bright youth rather than preserve the prejudices of the past. I mean, this, this, is, this is what makes out for law these days. Utterly, I'm reading this to you because this is the most, it's not like, oh, you know, this is kind of consensus. It takes like a radical right winger to overturn this. No, this was the most novel, radical left wing thing imaginable. The Supreme Court should have put a stay on that ruling within three hours. But instead, it took five years and then they finally denied cert, something this radical.
this radical. Um, at the time, Judge Paul Niemeyer, the only sane judge on the court, talked about how absurd it was to redefine the definition of sex from the bench. For the first time ever, the court holds that a public high school may not provide separate restrooms and locker rooms on the basis of biological sex. He, he observed how it overrules custom culture, the very demands inherent in human nature for privacy and safety, which the separation of such facilities is designed to protect. And the majority opinion even recognized the, quote, widely accepted practice. But he said it's not apparent to us, however, that the truth of these propositions undermines the conclusion we reach regarding the level of deference due to the department's interpretation of its own regulations. Not deference to the local school board, deference to DOE's insanity. So here we have, old Daniel, these guys are textualists. They're members of the Federalist Society. They're originalists. I mean, anyone who has a shred of, just I don't want to call it originalism, sanity in their body, they would immediately overturn this. But Gorsuch, uh... Kavanaugh and Barrett, the three Trump appointees, not to mention Roberts, did not join Alito and Thomas in the dissent. There was no written dissent, but a recorded dissent of the denial of cert, denial of the appeal. You cannot find a ruling more destructive and radical and utterly insane, devoid from law, devoid from common sense than this. And the Supreme Court allowed it to stand. But again, this is nothing new. The Supreme Court allowed a Ninth Circuit ruling, and I wrote about this two years ago, to stand uh, forcing Idaho's Bureau of Prisons to give a castration operation to a sex offender um, who said he's really a female and pay for it too. And if you don't pay for it, it violates the Eighth Amendment. It's cruel and unusual punishment. And I joked around at the time, I actually believe in castrating people like that. If we were to do that, they would say it's cruel and unusual punishment. And they're probably right, even though I believe in doing that. But but here, if a guy asks for it and you don't give it to him, it's cruel and unusual punishment. And, you know, didn't grant cert. Didn't take it up. Didn't take it up. And... The cool thing about this case is he sometimes you can't read too much into not granting cert because I could tell you the reason why the four conservatives didn't do it is because they weren't yet ready to bring it up because they were worried that the fifth guy would just rule a bad way. So they're like, let's not take it up yet and fight another day. And that was the, the thought before Amy Barrett because there were four non-Roberts um, Republican appointees, so enough to take up an appeal, but not enough to win a case. But now you have five without Roberts, so there's no excuse, but the answer is, they're all a bunch of Muppets, and they take turns screwing you. Sometimes it's all three, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's one of them, two of them, every once in a while Alito will have something funny, you know, less often, but, you know, this is how it is. This is how it is. Now, folks, if you actually really want to learn about the Constitution and the role of the judiciary, I recommend the best Constitution courses, all free, from my buddy Rick Green, constitutioncoach.com. Many of you have followed and some of you have gone with me. Uh, I go on their defensive handgun training course. So it's constitution training at night, defensive handgun during the day in Front Sight, Nevada, out in Pahrump, Nevada. 
Um, you go to constitutioncoach.com. You could see the next trainings are in September, October, November, December. I'm, I am going on the one that begins October 31st, so you could see me there. Um, it is truly the best defensive handgun training you will ever go through. You will meet members of this audience, the best patriots alive. Um, it is beautiful. Just, just, um, And the weather will be very nice. Then 90% off. 90% off front sides training. So the four-day course is just $150 rather than uh, $2,000. You just got to pay for your ammo, your supplies, and your trip accommodations, and you're good to go. So again, constitutioncoach.com to check out their um, their next dates. And uh, Rick will really give you a great entertaining lesson, the Constitution. And Frontsight has the best, best handgun um, instructors that you could find in America. So again, go to constitutioncoach.com. Um, so folks, there's, there's a number of lessons to glean from here. So first of all, we already know that Gorsuch did, did a similar thing in Bostock. So this is not a surprise. In other words, he interpreted that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, written in 1964, um, included transgenderism in terms of work workplace discrimination. So it was never going to be much of a jump for him to apply to the 1972 um, statute in, in the education setting. You know, Alito predicted that in the dissent in Bostock. But now we know, you know, Kavanaugh and, and Barrett are the same thing. And it could be Kavanaugh and Barrett did it because of Bostock. Because what what appears now from Ka- Kavanaugh and Barrett, just from watching them, certainly Kavanaugh, we've had more, he's had more time in the court. I've observed this, but I'm wondering if Barrett is also like this. We need another term to see this. Where they believe the minute the Supreme Court and, and maybe even a lower court rules on something insane, that, that's precedent even if that in itself overturned natural humanity. Another interesting thing is that we're living in a time when they are saying there's no right to breathe freely through one's mouth or nose or prevent experimental injections in one's body, yet somehow there's a right to force a school to use the opposite gender's bathroom. I want you to think about that for a moment. A college could say you must get an experimental jab as an 18-year-old male at risk for myocarditis from this thing, proven. CDC admits it. Tons of studies on this. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. You can't ask for an accommodation. But you could ask... As a dude with a yang and a yang hanging between you to use the girl's bathroom, the girl's shower, or whatever. This is conservative jurisprudence, originalism for you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is the failure of this movement on display. And if I sound like I'm taking a victory lap, maybe I am. I wrote a book on this in 2016. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, Trump's going to remake the courts. And again, I'm not blaming Trump. This is the entire conservative legal movement. I mean, he, he doesn't know who these people are. They all said they're good. I'm telling you, it is more important that we de-emphasize judicial supremacism because we're going to need it. Here's the problem we face with this before we move on to the next issue. And that is... 
even if we succeed in having this quasi kind of like red states do what they want, there you know there's growing momentum out there to defy Biden, defy Congress even. And you again, this is no tall, uh, no short order. You go and elect good people to school boards. And you get all this cultural rock out of the schools and the counties that at least, you know, we, we supposedly have 70% uh, Trump voters in them. You know what's going to happen? They bring it to federal court. And it's so imbued in these Republicans that the minute a court says something, that that's God's word. We are going to need to, if, we, if we're going to succeed in anything we're going to do, we're going to have to stop that. And as I've noted often... As I've noted, the way it would work in a case like this is very simple. A court is more of a shield, not a sword. They could opt not to convict someone, or you know, you're you you get relief. Relief means you don't have to go to prison. But if a court orders an affirmative positive benefit, put another way. In other words, they can only do a negative. They can't do a positive. A positive, by definition, is the action of a legislative or executive body of government. So if they say, all right, you school in this county in Texas, you have to allow boys and girls bathrooms. And the school superintendent and the school board is like, no, we're, we're not doing that. What could the court do? Ultimately, it's going to fall or rise on local law enforcement. And as long as you circle the wagons and say this is illegal, immoral, illogical, we're not doing it, and you have the sheriff, the governor, the state attorney general, and the school board members, county commissioners all standing together, there's really nothing you can do. I mean, the court's impotent. The only thing they could do is the, the feds could send down law enforcement, the Justice Department could send down the marshals or something, but... I'm just telling you that that would be very difficult to do that. Now, if there's one guy you know, left hanging and none of the local and state elected officials support it, maybe they will, and they'll, they'll hang the guy. But that, this is how it's going to have to go. That, that is the action item. Classic example, we're all finally getting excited about this revolution with school board uh, meetings and elections. Just know anything we want to do is going to be taken to federal court. And they will get their ruling. And nine times out of ten, the Supreme Court will either take forever to take up the case or they won't take up the case. And once in a while, they'll take up the case and actually side with them. But either way, the other side's going to win every time. But the point is, the reason why the courts screwed with this is because they know that on the political sphere... It's kind of unanimity of opinion. Part of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you had read America, actually read, the courts would back off to a certain extent. And I've seen this before. Like, whoa, okay, whoa, whoa. They'll realize how impotent they are. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's adverse possession. I've said this before. Adverse possession. If you have a 100-acre property in some states and there's like 10 acres of woods there that you never go to, and someone like sets up shop, and he's there for a certain amount of time, and you don't say anything, sometimes they could kind of steal it from you, adverse possession. And that's really what the judicial branch of government has done. It's very easy to kick them out. 
And, you know, we, we, we've seen this. They wait for the polling data. Which kind of segues to the next thing. So talk about the death penalty and crime and BLM and black nationalism. Republicans are pathetic on, the, on these issues. But um, the death penalty was a similar story. Similar story where they initially canned it, but then the Supreme Court a few years later realized the death penalty was very popular. Crime was really rocketing uh, in, in, in the mid-'70s, and they weren't going to mess with it. Public opinion matters. But the problem is that's when public opinion used to be reflected in the elected representatives to a certain extent. Now it's not because both sides, both, both parties are on the same side, and we're left disenfranchised. But what I want to talk about another pandering. What if I told you there is a growing threat in this country of militiamen with guns that are nationalistic, very racist, and they're violent as hell, and, and increasingly some of them are military veterans? No, I'm not talking about Timothy McVeigh types. I'm talking about black nationalist militias that are 100,000 times more likely to be violent and succeed in it and are backed by every facet of law, policy, and culture and economy than so-called white organizations. Yet Republicans, by the BLM narrative, they won't push back. They won't fight back against this. Every, and, and also, there's just another lesson in, in the following two stories I'm going to talk about that demonstrate Malcolm X's famous thing that the media is the most powerful entity. They can make guilty the innocent, innocent, innocent the guilty. People only know what's put on their plate, and, and people don't hear about this. So everyone in the country knows about QAnon and the Proud Boys. Okay, QAnon, I don't even know what the hell it is. I mean, if you want to talk about a right-wing guy, I'm your guy, and I never, I don't even know how to join it to this day. What's their website? I never heard of it until Savannah Guthrie mentioned it to Trump just before the election asked him about it. It's almost impossible at this point to believe it's not a creation of the feds because no conservative knows anyone involved in it. And the left was the first one to talk about it. What do they even do? And then the Proud Boys, I mean, most of what they did was just shadow boxing Antifa. They never attacked law enforcement. They never attacked civilians. Um, but now we find out that the leader and most of their people were FBI agents. So that's also a false flag. Yet you speak to the to anyone in government and media, and you know th- these entities are have this mythical status that's greater than Hezbollah and Al Qaeda. Just today. The FBI arrested a grandmother caught walking peacefully with a flag draped over her into the Capitol. And there's, you see on the video footage, a Capitol officer holding the door open for her. Okay? So they're hunting down these people. That's done. I want to make something very clear. The most apt description of blood li- of BLM is blood libels matter. 
It's a blood libel. It's not just that it's a false narrative of white supremacism and the ubiquitous white hatred to black somehow and white violence. It's worse than that. It's at a time of the most trending, violent black nationalism ever in the history of our country. They project the hatred on whites. What they're doing, they project it on whites to further legitimize and stoke these people to make them even more violent so they could basically give them a license to kill whites and kill cops. That is what is going on in the country. And if no one else with a conservative nomenclature by their name wants to talk about it, I will. On Saturday, 29-year-old Othel Wallace was arrested in DeKalb County, Georgia. This is the guy they were looking for in Volusia County. This is Daytona Beach, Florida. Last Wednesday, um, as the cop was approaching his car, he got out and shot him in the head. Miraculously, it does appear that the cop, Jason Rayner, is likely going to survive, and that's that's a great thing. But, you know, we, we put out at the time, we talked about the, the, um, the local police seem to have found his Facebook postings, all sorts of violent stuff. He was with Malik Shabazz and the Black Panthers, but he was a member of this organization called NFAC. I guarantee you not a single American has heard of it, like QAnon. It stands for Not Effing Around Coalition. Now, you might laugh. It sounds like a joke, but they had major rallies in Louisville and Stone Mountain, Georgia. So they have a presence in Georgia there. And they shut down Stone Mountain for an for a entire day. And this guy was caught with heavily armed with illegal flashbang grenades sitting in a treehouse on property associated with this NFAC organization. And when, according to the police chief of Daytona Beach Police, when cops found the guy... He said, you guys know who I am. You know what I'm capable of. It could have been a lot worse. And the sheriff there, Mike Chitwood, Volusia County Sheriff, believes that he was planning on attacking a cop no matter what. I mean, this you know, was just Officer Rayner got to him first. It would have been anyone. And on his Facebook page, he has associations with NFAC, Black Militia, New Black Panther Party, and the Huey P. Newton Gun Club Alabama chapter. According to a local Fox station, NFAC is a group of black nationalist gun owners founded in 2017, supposedly to protect blacks from violence and oppression. You know, it would be, a, it would be an amazing idea to have black militias to pr- protect pr- black neighborhoods. They'd save 99% of the, the lives that are lost, but instead, you and I both know what it's for. It's not for that. It's for the blood libel. And I can guarantee you, unlike with the white groups, these guys are legit. In other words, they're not false flag feds infiltrating them. These guys are real. And the question is, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, violent crime and career criminals being let go, barely serving time in prison. And and this was one of them, too. He had a, you know, career criminal record. But is there a growing problem of black nationalists? I I guarantee you, if I had control over the media like the left does, I would have everyone, you know, having NFAC at the tip of their tongue. Black militias, black militias. 
And I myself am guilty of not even covering this. You know, we forget. Everyone talks about January 6th, but people forget about April 2nd. Do you know there has only been one cop that has been proven to have been killed directly by a nationalist attacker? And it wasn't on January 6th, because Officer Sicknick, there is no evidence that he was killed. His name is Officer William Evans. April 2nd, a black nationalist associated with the um, Nation of Islam, follower of Farrakhan, Noah Green, crashed his car into a barricade at, at the Capitol. Killed, in the impact, he killed Officer Evans, injured another cop that was sitting in the car. And then he got out of the car with a very long machete-looking knife. And then that's when cops shot him dead. Louis Farrakhan put out a statement mourning the loss of a brother who could have been the future star in his movement. No one ever heard of Noah Green, just like no one ever heard of Othel Wallace, an NFA... See, folks, if if those two incidents, could, could you imagine for a minute a guy that's a member of I don't know white militia nationalist whatever you want to call it shooting um a cop in the head and then found on the premises of some sort of white nationalist property with flashbang grenades and all sorts of guns? Can you imagine if a follower of, um, I don't know, follower of Mark Levin or whatever, or myself, would have crashed his car into Capitol Hill cops? Yet, it's not even a perspective. No one ever heard of it. But part of this is also because the Republican Party and the Republican media don't even try. This is a growing problem. The Daytona News Journal, you know, I give them credit. The Daytona paper there has done pretty good coverage. They've done a deep dive into NFAC, and they said, they quoted the sheriff there saying that there's this modus operandi of NFAC now that they're being trained to have an altercation with cops, and during the altercation, grab the, um, the body cam. You know, all these guys, police reform, they push body cams to, like, make police as if they're always, like, suspect. But uh, the irony is, actually, these guys are trying to break it so that you lose the evidence. So it turns out that in this case of Officer Rayner being shot, allegedly by this Wallace guy, the body camera footage was cut off. It suddenly ends. And the sheriff said it's not because it ends, it's because it was cut off. The power cord was taken from the camera, so the camera couldn't record more. He methodically, in my opinion, dismantled the camera before he shot Jason, said Sheriff Chitwood. There's a fascinating um, write-up in the Atlantic. You could Google it, NFAC, John Fitzgerald Johnson. He's called the Grandmaster J. He's the leader. He's currently in jail after he was charged with pointing a rifle at Secret Service and Louisville Metro Police at a protest in Louisville last September. And Johnson, like a growing number of these people, he was actually a veteran of the Army. You know, 
veterans are usually viewed as kind of like the Gulf War, right-wing, white nationalist types. But there is a growing trend, and especially the attitude in the military now, what they're promoting with the blood libel and juicing these people up of, and again, by the way, I'm just, I'm not saying every black who serves in the military is like this. It's a small minority of them, just like any white supremacist you could find is a small minority. But there is a trend of this, and it's it's not being talked about, of you know, either black nationalists or these like gangsters that are being recruited to join the military to get training. Cause part of the problem with the gangs is that like they, they don't know how to shoot straight and they don't, you know, they're not very good at what they do. And you know, there's a whole article about that. Speaking of Florida in 2017, two Kissimmee, Florida police officers were killed by a black member of the, of this militia who served in the military. Just two weeks ago, Brianna, Brianna Sykes, a BLM activist who spent a year promoting hate against cops on social media, drove up to a white cop aptly at a Juneteenth parade in Flint, Michigan, and opened fire. Now, luckily, she had bad aim and didn't hit the cop, but the officer is seen on video begging her to surrender. According to a black eyewitness... He fell to the ground crying because he didn't want to do whatever he had to do. That's how sick this twisted blood libel culture is. How many more of these ticking time bombs, like Brianna Sykes and Otha Wallace, are on the streets? The Atlantic described many of NFAC's adherents as follows. Quote, They joined a group that promised to take a bite out of the earth and reserve it for black people. They expect it to be led by a commander who preaches radical separatism and will swagger with an AR-15 in public and boast that his snipers can bisect a white militiaman's head from a thousand yards away. Jay told me that he already had to vet his recruits carefully. Because they're trying to say Jay is moderate. But the point is they're admitting what's going on here. What happened to black supremacism being the greatest public health threat. I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm not going to shy away from this. See, unlike the other side, we judge people as individuals. If you have a horrible black criminal, it doesn't take it doesn't taint Joe Sixpack law-abiding citizen who happens to be black just like it doesn't when it's a white individual. But when you have a blood libel against all whites, against cops, at a time when, of course, it's a minority of blacks, but it, it, it is a growing problem of black criminals that often overlap with being nationalists and, and supremacists, racial violence, attacking Jews, attacking Asians. And then you go with a blood libel. I'm going to, I do need to point this stuff out because in reality, the prevalent problem is the opposite. And instead, they're making it out to be, well, you know, that's whites doing it, and they're just going to endanger more people. But don't expect any Republicans to talk about this. Which leads me to my final story today, third story, and that is Billy Chemmer. This is one of the most astounding things that has ever happened in American history. In other words, if I had to make a list of the most astounding things to have taken place that have been buried by the media, but no Republican 
in the state or nationally, this happened in Texas, has taken up the mantle, I would say this is probably it. Billy Chemmer might be the most notorious, I mean, he's not notorious, because no one ever heard of him, but should be notorious, heinous mass murderer in American history. Putting aside 9-11 and some of those things, but I'm saying is like a domestic murderer. And I am not engaging in a hyperbole one bit. Those of you who remember my reporting on this in 2019, 2020, I wrote two articles at the time. I have an article out today, and I linked to some of those in the past. I have a timeline of his murder and immigration status. I'm going to go over the case, and then I'm going to go over why I'm talking about it now and how this ties into Republicans and what they're about and the power of the media to make up, down, down, up, guilty, innocent, innocent, guilty, create a narrative that the violence is in the opposite area among the opposite people that it really exists. Billy Chemmer is one of many African immigrant home health care or uh, nursing home facility workers that is accused of murdering in the North Dallas region from roughly the spring of 2016 to the summer of 2018, about a two-year period. At least 24 seniors, mainly in their 80s and 90s, by smothering them to death when no one was around with a pillow and then taking their jewelry and other goods. That That was the motive. He's charged criminally in 18 cases, and he's named civilly in six others because they're suing this, like, uh, Brentwood, I think it's called, or something similar, this nursing home where a lot of them happened, and then other others were in individual homes. Um, but th- this was in a nursing home, assisted, li- or assisted living. Um, but my understanding of the case is that because these people were in their 80s and 90s and because he smothered them with a pillow, so people thought they just died, there's no telling how many there were. I know they did officially investigate the deaths of 700 people in the area to try to see, but I don't think they exhumed 700 bodies, obviously. They did exhume some of the ones that, you know, with the family's permission, the, the ones they got criminal charges on. So I don't know, but my understanding is it's very likely the number is even higher than 24. Murdering, I mean... Just the nature of it that everyone becomes old themselves, everyone first has a parent that is, and they're in a vulnerable situation and you have these home health care workers. It is the scariest thing imaginable. Have you ever heard of anything like this in American history? Now, I want to take a poll. I wish I had you guys like like a Frank Luntz's uh, buttons where I could poll you guys uh, instantaneously. How many of you as the most educated conservatives in this audience have heard of Billy Chemmer in this case. Going on right now. It's not from 50 years ago. I challenge you to find a more heinous mass murderer than this. Could very well be the worst mass murder in American history. I will guarantee you well under 50% of you guys have heard of it. And I guarantee you well under 0.00001% of Americans have heard of Billy Chemmer. Everyone heard of Derek Chauvin. Nobody ever heard of Billy Chemmer. Again, the most, the worst mass murderer of seniors in American history, maybe with the exception of Andrew Cuomo and some of the similar governors.
but this was directly with his hands. So that in itself is an unbelievable story number one. Just the fact that nobody knows about it. Now, I must say the Dallas Morning News has covered this extensively, but that's, that's it. No other outlet. No other outlet. Story number two, and I'm just going to go briefly on this. I have seen over the years, there is a, you can't chalk it up to, to raw chance. There is a, a trend we have seen of African healthcare workers sometimes beating and attacking white seniors. Many of you have seen, there's been videos around, but I've seen criminal cases that don't have videos. There's too many to ignore, so I'm just going to leave it there. There's something funny going on there. There's something funny going on. Now, I will also say, I want you guys to imagine for a moment, and I don't want you guys to answer my question in your brain instantaneously. I want you to let this thought percolate for several minutes in your brain. Imagine if a native white healthcare worker was accused of smothering at least 24 black seniors to death. I want you to let your brain run wild. What would have happened? Now, I don't mean the guy would have been swimming with the fishies, the suspect, within three months would have gotten the death penalty. I want you to think based on the show the the Floyd situation who is the antithesis of an innocent person the sympathy they were able to evoke the cultural transformation they were able to induce the blood libel against whites and police they were able to incite I want you to run wild We'd be lucky if, if all of us wouldn't be in a concentration camp after that I don't think you could fully I don't think any of us could fully comprehend the magnitude of what that would look like. And I'm not even saying there's proof this was racially motivated or I even think it was in this case. I I wonder in general if there have been cases. This it could be it was just pure crime of opportunity. I don't know and that's not really the point. But anyway, that's with that. And we are going to go long today. I'm seeing it's already it's already time but I got to go on. Then there's the immigration portion of this. It turns out, and I have his timeline, and no one reported on this, even the Dallas Morning News, and they actually got very huffy that me and John Binder of Breitbart were reporting on this at the time. He was granted a tourist visa on July 2003 from Kenya. He overstayed his visa and remained illegally in the country until November 2007. There's this loophole that is against statute, but the, the the executive branch has given it out that if you marry someone who's a citizen, you could get a green card. Really, you're an illegal alien and you should have to be deported and you have to apply, you should have to apply legally like anyone else and say, hey, I want to marry an American and however, you know, you got to wait for that. But he was able to stay and get a green card. So first of all, had we enforced our illegal immigration laws these people would be alive. But then that's not all. Even if you want to treat him like a legitimate LPR, LPRs could still be deported if they commit crimes. He was arrested for DWI 
in 2010. He was convicted for DWI in 2011, spent 18 months, um, 180 days in jail, 18 months of probation. He was arrested for a second DWI shortly afterwards in 2011. He was arrested for causing bodily injury against a girlfriend in 2012. Um, he was arrested for trespassing a senior facility in 2016. He was convicted of trespassing in a prior DWI June 28, 2016. He was released from jail July 11th, 2016. Right then, he had more than enough deportable offenses. We talk a lot about this. This case is all the elements. Jailbreak and repeat criminal aliens. He could have been deported. He wasn't. March 20th, 2018. He was arrested for the first murder of the first alleged crime, which was alleged to have taken place just days after he was released from jail in 2016. Again, the enormity of this story from a criminal standpoint, from a immigration standpoint, how he, he was deportable and this could have been avoided. Obviously, the, you know, the security issues, particularly at that one facility, this is going to be a big civil case. The treatment of seniors, especially now with COVID and everything, how as a nation, I, this is not, I think you'll all agree with me, this is not a right or left issue. This is something like, it's very scary. It's something that needs wholesale reform in the culture, what we do with the seniors in these facilities. This should be the biggest criminal case of our lifetime. Yet nobody has heard of it. Now I'm going to go to the current news. And I didn't even know about this. This was a Dallas Morning News story last week. I didn't know my buddy Ann Corcoran of Refugee Resettlement Watch. Because she covers it from an immigration standpoint. And she, she's been all over this. She emailed me. And the Dallas Morning News reports that District Attorney John Crusoe of Dallas County. Announced that he is not going to seek the death penalty. He's going to seek life without parole. And that he's only going to bring two of the 18 criminal cases to trial, leaving the other victims' families hanging. Okay? So, that is an unbelievable bombshell. Now, the Dallas Morning News reports that they got an audio recording from the victims' families with the, you know, they were speaking with the DA, and he basically gave four reasons. You'll see where I'm headed with here. Number one, he says they'd have to travel to Kenya to obtain witnesses describing Chemura's past, a task he believes is too tough to complete, especially with COVID. Um, and, you know, again, that, that would basically preclude the death penalty for any immigrant uh, killer. Uh, number two, that they'd have to prove that Chemmer is a danger to the prison population, yet he's been in jail since 2018 without incident. So their point is, well, he's been there for a few years and he hasn't caused problems. Now, I don't understand what that means because most murderers are, it takes a long time till the trial, a special capital trial. So I don't, I don't, I don't get it. 
um, you know, and most of them don't cause an incident in, in jail. I don't know what that means. He claimed, number three, he claims society is less accepting of the death penalty. Imagine saying that in the context of this case. And, and he's right. Even in Texas, they've, I mean, it, it's almost nothing. And number two, two it, number four, it would take forever to execute him. Now, it could be all four points have validity to them. But they need to be changed. Just like George Floyd changed the world, Billy Chemimer, I shouldn't, I should really have the name of the victim. Norma French is one of them off the back of my mind, but there's too many of them. <laughs> That's a part of the problem. Let's just say Norma French should change the world. I immediately got on the phone to a legislator I know in Texas. I was like, did you see that they're not going for the death penalty? And I was trying to tell him, like, look, you got to look at the statute here. We have to make sure if there are any hoops that you have to jump through to get a capital conviction other than evidence the guy did the freaking murder in cold blood. I don't care, oh, that he's a danger to this and his, and his you know, history in, in, when he was growing up. That needs to be changed. If that is a requirement, that needs to be changed. The only evidence you need is that the guy murdered someone in cold blood. You get the death penalty. And this is the case to use. Republicans never utilize cases like this. And no one even knows about it. And I'm not criticizing him, but you know what his response was? I don't know what you're talking I don't know who Billy Chemmer is. And I was like, oh, I, I forgot like where he's from. I was like, are you from like the Austin area? No, he's from the Dallas area. I don't think quite that district, a little bit east, but he's from the area. Now, I think once I explained the whole thing to him, he kind of in the back of his mind remember, remembered something about it. But that was it. This is the most conservative legislator in Texas, near Dallas. That's how much he had this case on his mind. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone in particular. This is all of our problem. We allow the media to dictate what cases are spoken about, and therefore we allow them to dictate and control the world. We need a revolution in the death penalty. Do you know that there's been over 800,000 murders, homicides in this country since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976, yet only 1,500 or so have been executed? Another 2,600 currently on death row, and I bet you tons of them are going to get off now. We'd be lucky if we hang on to a fraction of them. In the 90s, we're executing about 100 a year. It trickled down last decade to about 20, and now it pretty much ground to a halt. Except for a handful of states, one a year. If that. In 1984, it took about six years to give the death penalty. According to BJS, as of a few years ago, it was 20 years and three months in prison before execution, but now it's it's longer than that. Justice Breyer noted in a 1999 case, quote, our constitution was written at a time when delay between sentencing and execution could be measured in days or weeks, not decades. He was trying to make the case that it's like bad to let it sit so long so like you can't have the death penalty, but our point is, you're right. So it should be done then. Daniel, what about due process? 
What about due process during those times? We have more communication, transportation, and technology than them. Why does it take so long? It should take a matter of weeks. But look, I'd settle for three years. Where is the movement on a state and federal level to make the death penalty great again? Let me just give you a sense of this in Texas. Of how urgent this is. Just in Houston alone, there are 1,500 pending murder cases and 500 capital murder cases. Now, again, obviously everyone needs due process, but in a macro-statistical sense, I could say almost every one of them, I'm sure, is guilty, right? It's very rare. There's rare. There are exceptions where, you know, someone's arrested and charged for murder and you didn't do it, but, and that's why you need, you know, due process, but... You know, in a macro sense, I think we could all say, certainly in the times we live in, 1,500 pending murder cases just in Houston alone, not Texas statewide. How many of those do you think, and 500 are capital, probably more of them should have been capital cases, but they're not from the get-go. How many of them do you think will receive the death penalty? And as it stands now, it's slated for years. Who is pushing real reforms on this level? And while these cases are horrific, when they are dropped in your lap, they are a God-given opportunity to do justice for future victims. I don't want to hear, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, Trump versus DeSantis possibly, or in the primary uh, Newsmax is starting to trash DeSantis to cover for Trump. I'm like, I don't even care. It's offensive to even think about 2024. Republicans control Texas now. Next week, they're, or late next week, or the week after, they're convening a special session of the legislature. How is this not dealt with? How does a guy like this not get the death penalty? And if you're telling me that Billy Chemimer won't get capital punishment. You're ostensibly saying that capital punishment is, is dead for good, even in Texas. For all this talk, oh, Texas, oh, Texas was very notorious for executing people, and they did execute a lot more than any other state. It still was a fraction of the first-degree murderers that were convicted in the state. We need to make the death penalty great again. What's so sad is that there are thousands of staffers, lawyers, and advocates funded by evil people working around the clock on behalf of murderers to help them escape capital punishment or even life in prison or even any imprisonment. Who is standing for the most vulnerable victims of perhaps the worst domestic mass murder committed by an individual of all time? Well, first, you have to even know that the case exists. And that's the failure of conservative media. It's a failure of the Republican Party. You put it all together, the narrative we have from today. I'm very proud of today's show. I wanted to present this a full thought with you, even though it's a little bit longer, of what's going on with crime and the worst mass murder and the black nationalist militia movement killing cops. And stupid Republican judges, you know, j just uh, as an aside, real quick, just today before I uh, 
recorded, I wait until, you know, SCOTUS comes out with their decisions. They didn't come out with the Arizona ballot harvesting election law case. That's going to be Thursday. It's the last day of decisions. Um, but there was a case on immigration. And, and I've noted that even the worst criminal aliens that we ordered deported, even though statute says that courts can't overrule the decision and the, they, they're stripped of jurisdiction to even hear the cases, the courts keep finding ways. The Ninth Circuit keeps taking it up. The Supreme Court keeps swatting it down narrowly. And then they keep coming back for more in a slightly different case. Even though they're all precluded from ever overlooking someone that has final orders of deportation. That's it. That's it. There is no judicial review over it. Certainly not constitutionally, but statutorily, they're downright precluded. And yes, we did get, as usual... A 6-3 to three ruling today that the case is Guzman v. Garland, maybe, um, is, uh, you know, that, that they denied his uh, appeal for a hearing. But Thomas wrote a concurrence, as he always does in these cases, and only Gorsuch joined it. So we only had two, again, two. This time it was, you know, the other case was Alito and Thomas's Thomas and Gorsuch. He, Thomas is like, there's no jurisdiction that the courts should ever hear these cases to begin with. Now, you could say Alito possibly because he was tasked with writing the majority opinion, the main opinion, which was a good opinion. So, join the concurrence, you know, so that may, it could be he agrees. But I'll tell you, Barrett and Kavanaugh sure as hell didn't join it. And, and, and this is the problem. We need a movement on judicial reform, on true criminal justice reform. We need to fight the blood libel of, of white racism and point out where the racism really resides and where the danger and violence really resides. Remember, I mean, you know, there's a much greater pool per capita of black, violent career criminals let out of jail to be recruited to these groups than whites, because it's always criminals that usually do it. I mean, you look at the Aryan nations, it was a prison thing. They recruited there. But what I'm trying to say is if, if you have black militias now, the amount of dangerous people that they could recruit is infinite. Why is that not a problem? Where's the FBI? And the answer to all this is no change will ever happen because Republicans won't even talk about it, so even their constituents don't even know about it. You can't demand change if people don't even know the problem exists. Again, I hope you learned a lot today. Send this show to all your friends and relatives. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you for listening.